You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the characteristics of a committed disciple. We're calling Transformed Through Trust. With this week's message, here's shepherding pastor Joe Cook. If you're like me and you grew up in the United States, we share a common experience. Not everyone in here was raised in the United States. But if you were, and you remember this, every morning of school day, you would stand up and you would put your hand over your heart and you would say some words that were very familiar. I pledge allegiance to the flag. And then you would just go on. I can have, I have faint memories of the earliest childhood, kindergarten or first grade, and the teacher kind of walking us through those words, telling us how to say them, maybe having us repeat them. When we got able to read, it'd be on a, the overhead projector up on a screen, and every day, day after day, week after week, year after year, we would say that pledge. And as we were looking at this series, and we came to this one about following Jesus, we recognized it's really about allegiance. And as we wrestled with that word and talked about it, one of the teams said, you know, that's not a word we use very often. And I was like, you know, come to think of it, I, I don't think it is. And so I began to look up, what does the word mean? Because I'm pretty sure when I was in kindergarten and first grade, I didn't have a good idea what it meant. And so then I got to wondering, do I know at 54 <laughs> exactly what it means? The dictionary says this. It says, strong loyalty to a person, group, idea, or country. Okay, there's some facts there, there's some information, but I can't say that those words necessarily just stir my heart to really understand or be passionate about what this word was. So I read a little bit more. Now, as I was reading, I had, a, I had a memory of a friend, a good friend who was from Cameroon. He wasn't raised in the United States. And I can remember him talking about how much he wanted to be a citizen of the United States. And it was really difficult for that to happen. In fact, I started reading about the process and found out that you have to take classes. And then when you get through these classes, once you get accepted, you're going to not take a pledge of allegiance you're going to take the oath of allegiance. And I read through that, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> I think I understand what allegiance means now. So I'm going to walk you through that with me. This is the oath of allegiance that a person takes if they want to become a naturalized citizen of the United States. Some of you in here may have done this. The oath of allegiance. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely Notice these words, renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom which I have therefore been a subject or citizen. The very first thing you do when you say, I'm going to be an allegiance to this nation as you say no to the others. That's phase one. Then we're going to enter phase two. There's going to be several statements here that begin with, I will. And we're going to start learning more about what this commitment, what this idea of allegiance is. Look at these statements. I will support and defend the Constitution and the law of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same 
that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law. Again, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by law. That I will work perform work of a national importance under civilian direction when required by law. That's our section. I will, I will, I will, I will, and at each I will, you surrender something. Did you see that? Someone else has the authority over your time, your resources, and even your safety. That's section two. There's one more section to go. They continue, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. That last one says, nobody's making me do this. I'm not coerced. I'm not being forced. I willingly choose to step into this idea of allegiance. I think we understand allegiance a little bit better now. I have to say no to everything else. I have to surrender certain control, certain aspects of my life. Somebody else now has the right to come into my life and say, Joe, you have to go there and you have to do this, and it may be unsafe. And then they're saying, but you don't have to do this. Now, we're not talking about changing our nation uh, citizenship or anything like that this morning. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been in this series walking through the marks of a maturing disciple, and we're going to talk about how you even come into the kingdom in just a minute. But I want to make it clear that you understand that these marks of a maturing disciple, they're not a prerequisite to come to faith. You can't mature until you've been born. And we're going to talk in a minute about how to be born again. But understand, as we go through these stages, these things are an invitation to come further, an invitation to grow up, an invitation to live life to its fullest. The last couple of weeks, we've been in Matthew 16, verse 24. Let's review that. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, two weeks ago, Lance took us through what it means to deny himself. Sounds like those I will statements, doesn't it? I will do this. I will do that. You have the authority to tell me. And then last week, Derek took us through, take up your cross. Whew. Wait a minute. That's not safe. Yep. And then we come to the last two words, which is what we're going to cover today. Follow me. Now, this isn't just follow the leader like on the playground where you stand behind somebody and you walk and you go up the slide and down the slide. No, no, this is follow me in the sense of I'm making a commitment to this person and I'm saying I'm going to follow you. Just like those oaths, I'm saying no to everything else. I'm saying you can choose what I do, how I do it, when I do it, and whether or not it's safe. And I'm doing this without any coercion. Now, the question is, disciples of Jesus Christ, those of you who are in the kingdom, why would anybody do this? Because this is a big deal. Do you feel the weight of what allegiance is? Our message this morning is going to answer two questions. The first question is why. We're going to start with why. Why would anyone give their allegiance to Jesus? And then before we're done, we're going to talk about how you would do that. But this question why 
It's all encompassed in who he is. It's all encompassed with, it, with this idea. Is he worthy of me making that commitment? Is he worthy of me moving into that? Does he allow me, does he provide for me the strength to even do that? And we're going to begin with this idea that Jesus is preeminent. And that's another word we don't use very often. Preeminent means surpassing all others. Distinguished. I like that one. Jesus is distinguished. There are a lot of people, governments, authorities, entities that want your allegiance. But Jesus is distinguished from all those. Very different. Let's begin with the fact that Jesus is the creator. The first element that we're going to look at as far as his preeminence is his, his role in creation. The Gospel of John starts with this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word, by the way, if you don't know that, Paul, I mean, John is using that as a descriptor of Jesus Christ. He's saying, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and then he goes on, and all things were made through Him. Without Him, how many things were made? Nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the author of creation. Did you know that? Did you know that this one that we call Jesus, that we talk about on Easter Sunday, that he was there in the beginning in his pre-incarnate state, he was there making the world, making the universe. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Colossians. There is a, a branch of theology called Christology. It's the study of Jesus Christ. And one of the epistles, one of the blessings that we have in the Scripture is Colossians. has some of the highest Christology of any of the epistles in the New Testament. In other words, it says some things about Jesus that if you're paying attention, they'll blow your mind, okay? So turn to Colossians chapter 1 and look with me at verse 15. We're going to be in Colossians for just a few minutes. Colossians 1 verse 15, speaking of Jesus... He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in him on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Do you see what it says, how all-encompassing it is? He didn't just make the trees and the rocks and the earth and the sun and the moon. Notice what else he made. He made dominions, rulers, authorities, any other power on in creation that might say, give me your allegiance. He made them. He's preeminent over them. He is distinguished from them. I'm thankful that now in the Pledge of Allegiance that I grew up saying, it says under God, because those last two words remind me, this, there's something else under, there's something above that. This is under that. But whether those words are there or they're not there, Jesus is preeminent. He's so distinguished. You can't, you can't, you didn't get to choose the day of your birth. Jesus did. Your very creation is owned to him. You know, when we think through that, we owe him everything. Is he worthy of your allegiance, of my allegiance? He is. You're going to hear me ask that question today, and I'm going to be training you, and you're going to catch on by the end. You're going to respond by, he is. Is Jesus worthy of our allegiance? He is. He is. Now, not only did he create us, he sustains us. 
I love this one. Look down again in Colossians. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now just stop with verse 17. All things hold together. It's easy to pass over. What does that mean? Does it mean literally that all things hold together? Is that what he's saying? Well, I think it is. I think it's bigger than that. As I was reading through this, I know this will shock you. I'm not a sophisticated astrophysicist or nuclear physicist, but I did read about this. The reality is that as scientists begin to learn about the universe, they for a long time thought the atom was the smallest unit of matter. But scientists begin to realize that even inside of the atom, there are particles. And down deep inside of the atom, there's a nucleus. And in that nucleus are other particles. And the scientists were studying this, and what they realized is that all those particles had the same magnetic charge in the nucleus. Now, you're thinking, okay, but here's what that means. Think about what you know about magnets. These little blocks I have up here are magnets. They're sticking together. The reason they're sticking together is this side has a positive magnetic charge. This has a negative magnetic charge, and therefore I can stick them together and they hold. So as they were looking at the nucleus, they expected to find different particles with different magnetic charges. That's not what they found. They all have the same charge. You know what should happen? They should repel. They shouldn't stick together. But something stronger than that magnetic force, like I'm stronger than these magnets, maybe, held them together. Look at that. I'm so strong. But if my strong hand wasn't holding that, you know what that atom would do? It would fall apart. It should repel. And as the scientists studied this, they said, what's holding it together? And one, in a, one scientist critiquing his own field of study, he said, there must have been a total lack of imagination that day because when they named that force, you know what they named it? The strong force. <laughs> Creative, right? The scientists decided there is a force out there. We don't understand it. There's a strong force that holds the nucleus of the atom together. And if that strong force wasn't there... Nothing in the universe would stay together. Now, they've continued to study that, and they learn more and more about it all the time. But I love it when a scientist, or a theologian for that matter, speaks humbly about their field of study. And I'm going to share a quote with you that I, I thought of. This is a scientist. He was the first chairman of, the Na of uh, NASA's lunar, uh, lunar Landing Committee. He wrote a book. And he realized there's some things in science that he didn't understand. And he said this, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. He pulls himself up over that final rock. And notice, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been there for centuries. Now, Robert Jastrow is not a Christian, was not a Christian. He was an agnostic. But here's what he admitted in that moment of humility. There are some things in this universe that work, and we don't know why. And maybe somebody else has something to say about it. Maybe there's something to this theology. The reality is, when we come back to Colossians, look at that. What a major statement. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Go with me to 18. He is the head of the body of the church. 
His, his preeminence goes beyond just the physical realm. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, and in him everything that he may be, and there's our word, preeminent. And it's not just over Adam's. Philippians 4.19 tells us, And my God will supply all your needs, every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If you're a convinced disciple, why would you want to move into these daunting new levels of maturity? Because one of the things we see is he provides everything that we need. Allegiance to him is a a journey that you don't take on your own. As Derek talked about it last week, when you take up the cross, he's underneath there with you. So this allegiance is to someone you're following, and he's always there to be followed. So he's creator, he's sustainer, but it doesn't end there. He's the redeemer. You see, he created the world, he sustains the world, and then something happened. He gave this world a good gift, he gave man a good gift. That gift was the gift of choice, but mankind, Adam and Eve, used that good gift to choose contrary to his will, and sin entered the world. And God says, I still want to have them. And the story of this book from beginning to end is the story of redemption where he leaves the throne of God as the incarnate son of God and he moves closer to his creation in pursuit of us. He is the redeemer. There's a theory or there's a concept in literature. You may have seen it on Gilligan's Island. You may have seen it or read about it in the in the uh, novels about Star Wars between Han Solo and his Wookiee companion whose life he saved. Or you may have heard about this concept in a recent movie called The Covenant. There's some rough language and there's some violence. I'm not endorsing the movie, but the storyline in this movie is it's very engaging. You see, it's about this idea of a life debt. When someone lays down their life for you, there's this feeling of everything I have belong, everything I see, I I owe to this one who saved my life. In the covenant, what takes place is you've got Sergeant Kinley who has an interpreter. It's in Afghanistan. They need interpreters to communicate with the people around them. And his interpreter is Ahmed. And they encounter a battle. And everyone in their group is killed except for Sergeant Kinley and his interpreter. And the Taliban are all around them, surround him. Now, here's the opportunity that Ahmed had as his interpreter. He could have stripped off his uniform and got the clothes of one of the combatants that had been killed, and he could have walked off into Afghanistan and been unrecognizable. He did not have to risk anything for this American, but he did. He picks him up, he drags him, and the story goes of day after day after day, he risked his life to save Sergeant Kinley. And at the end of this journey, Sergeant Kinley is laying on a stretcher, finally receiving the help that he so desperately needs. His eyes close, and then his eyes open, and he's stateside. And he gets to see his wife, and he gets to see his kids. And then he remembers, I have all this because of what Ahmed did. And he begins to feel the weight of the life debt. What I want us to think about with redemption is God did not have to save us. He doesn't need our allegiance, unlike a government or a a different entity of some sort that needs your allegiance in order to be powerful. God didn't need it. 
He died for you and he died for me willingly. And he offers it as a free gift. Remember a while ago I said that all these things we've been talking about are pretty heavy? And none of them are a prerequisite for salvation. You can't mature until you've been born again. Jesus said this about being born again, and he doesn't use that language here, but I love the way this one points it out. This is from John 6. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who, notice, looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You're born again by the look of faith, not by some great work, not by some great act or sacrifice. You can't beg beg for it, borrow it, or steal it. It's a gift, and you're born again into the kingdom. And what we've been doing in this series isn't trying to pile rocks up on you to make it a harder journey. It's to tell you about the opportunity that you have to mature, to grow, to come further into Christ and experience all that he has. And part of that is, he died for me allegiance. It's appropriate. Is he worthy of our allegiance? He is. Let's try that again. Is he worthy of our allegiance? He is. But he didn't just stop with his creating, sustaining, and redeeming. He's victorious. Have you noticed that we're in a dangerous world? There are forces and powers in our world that would like to do us harm whether it's in our community or in our nation or in our world. And when you're in danger, when you're behind enemy lines, you know who you want with you? Somebody strong, somebody who's a champion, somebody who's victorious. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. He is worthy of our allegiance because he's the winner. Jesus said this. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world. Notice he's honest. Don't come blind into this. Understand, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He's Christus Victor. He's the winner. It's wise to give. It's not only is he worthy of our allegiance, it's wise to give, us, to give him our allegiance. But then we come to my favorite one. As many, as powerful as all these are, creator, sustainer, redeemer, We come to this one, he's worthy because he loves us unconditionally. What I said a while ago, he didn't have to do any of this. He didn't need to create the world. He doesn't need to sustain the world. He didn't have to step down and redeem the world. He did so because he wanted to. He loves you. I heard a commentator ask a a Bible teacher one time on a radio show, He said, if there's one thing you could have people know about God, what is it you want people to know about God? Above all other things, what would you have them know? And the Bible teacher said, I would want people to know that God loves them. He's worthy of our allegiance because he loves us, and he didn't have to. He doesn't owe it to us. He loves us. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Jesus Christ and the gospel manifest that. Paul tells us that we were once enemies of the cross, and Christ loved us even then. It's not just that we were wayward and running away. No, we were against him in some sense in our flesh. We were were not for him. And even while we were not for him, even in the midst of our sin, he's for us. 
He's coming towards us. He loves us. Unconditional, unmerited love. John tells us in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for the sins. Jesus made the first move. Is he worthy of our allegiance? Is he worthy of our allegiance? He is. And lastly, maybe a summary to it, he's worthy of our allegiance because he's glorious. Now maybe that word glory leaves you a little flat. What does that word even mean? The word glory in Hebrew is kavod, and it means heavy, weighty, like this one, tangible divine presence of God. Jesus is the glory of God. He's the tangible divine presence of God manifest before us. He's all that God is. He's all that God, his communication to us, it's in Jesus Christ. He outweighs anybody else that would have your your loyalty, your, that would ask for your fidelity or your allegiance. And they all, none of, them, none of these other entities do it because they love you. They would do it because they need you. He's glorious, and his love is one of the crowning jewels of that glory. The word worship comes from an Anglo-Saxon word, being worthy. So I ask you, is he worthy of our allegiance? He is. He is. He is. But now, with the time that we have remaining, we have to wrestle with something. If we've been inspired, if we've looked at all this, and there's there's so much more that we could say, if we agree, if you really mean he is worthy, then we have to ask the question, how? Joe, how, how do we do this? Well, let's look at four things that we can do. If you have your outline there, we're going to talk about how does a disciple How does he practice, he does she or she practice allegiance? The first thing is we know the cost and benefit. Before you take on anything, you should always do a cost-benefit analysis. If you're in business or you're a builder, you're always going to look at that, that give and take there. Is it worth the cost? Jesus told us to do this in chapter 14 of Luke, where he's actually talking about this whole concept of denying yourself and about the difficulty of discipleship. He says this. Sorry, He says this, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? He's saying before you enter into this aspect of allegiance, do so soberly. Even the oath of allegiance we looked at before, it's uncoerced. Recognize there's a cost and there's a benefit. Every disciple, whether you're a baby disciple and stay a baby disciple, or you mature, Every disciple of Jesus Christ has a moment where we're going to stand before him and we're going to give an account of what we've done with our life. The clearest place that we see this is in 1 Corinthians 3. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward, okay? That's for the disciple who matures. That's for the disciple who moves forward from being a baby. There's going to be a reward. And then he continues. But anyone whose work is burned up He will suffer loss, but notice, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. There's a principle that I don't want you to miss. God isn't hanging hanging a sword, dangling a sword over your head and saying, if you don't do this, you're out of the family. But this is an invitation to come deeper. Come further in. Come further up. Come closer to me. And allegiance is part of it. Count the cost. There will be one. 
There will be a cost. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. But that's the, that's the cost side, right? So now we have to measure it against what? We have to measure it against the benefit side. What's the profit? What is the possibility here? And when we think about that, I can't think of anything better than the chapter right before what we just looked at in 1 Corinthians. And I, I didn't get this one in a slide, so if you want to write this down, it's 1 Corinthians 2.9 but I bet you know it. It says this, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered in the heart of the man what God has in store for those who love him. Some translations use the word, it hasn't entered into the imagination. Now, I want you to think about that. I'm a pretty good imaginer. I bet you are too. God's word there in 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, you can't even imagine what I have in store for you. Now, he's told us some of the things he has in store for us. He's told us that for those who walk in this maturity, who receive these rewards, are going to rule and reign with him. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's going to wipe away every tear. We know that, but he's saying there's stuff you don't know. And in fact, it's so good, you can't even imagine it. So if we take the cost and we weigh it and we take the benefit the benefit far outseeds, exceeds the cost because the benefit is eternal and the cost, the cost is temporary. So we did our cost-benefit analysis. What else can we do? Well, if you're going to do anything, it's always good to look at an example. The perfect example of how to live a life of allegiance is Jesus himself. When we pledge our allegiance to Jesus, we're saying, I'm going to be like you. I'm going to do things like you do. And he brought us a different type of paradigm. In Mark, we read this. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you see that? Jesus' purpose here wasn't to be served. It wasn't for his life to be comfortable so he could put up his feet and just chill and enjoy himself. He came to serve and to take care of others. If we're going to be living in allegiance, that means we adopt a paradigm like that, that how can we help other people? What can we do? It goes beyond that. Not only is it this idea of serving, but this is, it's this idea of following. Jesus models following. He's our leader. He's the one that we're being challenged to give our allegiance to, but he followed. Aristotle made this comment. He who cannot be a good follower cannot be a good leader. Jesus was a good follower. Jesus modeled it for us at every step. In John, we read this, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus lived his life under obedience. Before he did anything, he would go, Father, is this the way to go? Before he entered into anything, he was checking with the one in charge. If you want to know how do you live the life, of obedience? How do you live the life of allegiance? It's recognizing that you're under authority. Before you go into business with someone, before you buy a house, before you get married, before you do anything, you recognize it's not all about me. I have a commanding officer. I have a king. And you go to your king and, can I do this? You ask. You seek permission. You seek guidance. This idea of allegiance, Jesus models it for us every step of the way. He even models it during difficult things because maybe you're saying, Joe, life is hard. I don't, 
I don't know if I have the energy or strength to do this. Well, remember, when you take up the cross, you're not under it alone. Jesus is there with you. That's the key. But understand this, hard things will come. And Jesus wasn't exempt from that. He modeled allegiance for us in the darkest hour. And the night before his crucifixion, he said this, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus lived in allegiance to his Father. And he said, I don't want to do this. This is hard. But your will be done. To live the life of allegiance means, remember that oath? That someone else has control over your life, has the authority over your life. And sometimes that even involves our safety. Pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? We're not done. Else do we, how do we do this? We establish a grid, an allegiance grid. What do I mean by that? Well, you may re- recognize that you have dual citizenship. Paul tells us in Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven, but I also have a citizenship here in the United States. So anytime you have dual citizenship, there's going to be tension. There's going to come a point where you have to choose which one is supreme. Jesus says no man can have two masters. You either love the one and hate the other. There's going to always come a point in time where you have to make a choice. Even in earthly dual citizenship, if those two countries were to go to war against one another, you're going to have to make a choice. The disciple of Jesus Christ knows who his ultimate allegiance is to. We see Peter and the disciples model this for us. The Sanhedrin brought him in after, after Jesus' resurrection, and they're preaching the gospel, and they said, stop it. Now, Peter later will tell us, hey, you need to obey the, the king. Paul tells us, obey the authorities that are put in place above you. But there's an exception. When they tell you to not do what God told you to do or the other way around, You always have an ultimate allegiance. Peter said this, and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We need an allegiance grid. My ultimate allegiance, our ultimate allegiance as disciples of Jesus Christ cannot be to a flag, a political party, a president, a dictator, or a human king. It's to the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords, he is the ruler of the universe. He is preeminent over all things. And he is a king who is returning and he will have a throne on this earth. And one of these days, even though we are not in sight of him now, this king that we stand for in allegiance, we will stand before. And how powerful will that reward be if we stand in allegiance with the king when he he sees us the first time? Finally, Developing allegiance rhythms. What do I mean by that? It's kind of, a, kind of an odd statement. But you remember how we began? You can picture yourself or little kids. I pledge allegiance to the flag. Okay. Why did we do that? It was to remind us. It was to teach us that we have someone that we're under authority to. Morning after morning after morning, day after day after day. Do you know there's something similar that God did for the Hebrew people? One of the things he did for the Hebrew people is he gave them this teaching that's in Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9. And from this passage, we're getting ready to read it, they drew out, they created a prayer called the Shema prayer. You may be familiar with it, but I want to read through the passage that they draw that prayer from. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. Do you hear the allegiance? Do you hear the preeminence? It continues. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It continues. You shall bind them on a sign as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It's pretty serious. Jesus drew from this. When someone says, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. He drew from the Shema, and he did what only Jesus could do. He added something to it. Someone has called this the Jesus Creed. The thing that he added to it, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what the Jews did with the Shema? They recited day, every day, every morning, and every evening. And this is what uh, one Jewish scholar has said. The Shema is the centerpiece of the daily and morning and evening prayer service. And it's considered by some the most essential prayer in all Judaism. And notice why. It's an affirmation of God's singularity, his kingship, its daily recitation is regarded by traditional observant Jews as a biblical commandment. Now we're not Jews, we're Christians, and we're studying this idea of will we give our allegiance to Jesus. And I want you to think about that. If it was smart for the Jewish people, and it's smart for nations to recite their Pledge of Allegiance, what can we do if we really want to live? If you, you have been inspired, you've heard who Jesus is, and you want to move into this level, what could we do? We can pledge allegiance to Jesus. Now, you could go to the great, the, where Jesus gives us the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. You could make it that. But I'm going to encourage you, make it personal. Think about all that God has done for you. Think about the things that we just looked at. Creator, sustainer, redeemer, Christus victor. He's defeated the enemy. When you think on those things, you want to live for him. When you recognize that he's inviting you into the greatest adventure that mankind has ever entered into. When you recognize that what this means is purpose and meaning to your life. Sometimes people say, I just don't feel like I have a purpose. Here's a purpose. Live for him. And if you want to bring that into the rhythms of your life, I would invite you, I, I challenge you to think through, maybe for the next 30 days, pledge allegiance to Jesus. Maybe you would do this in the morning. Maybe you do it morning and evening. If you can still bend on your knees, maybe you bend on your knees. There's a reason the children put their hand over their heart. There's a reason when the Jews pray, they pray with their hands open like this. Pick a posture. Think how you can work this into the rhythm of your life. And maybe it goes something like this. Jesus Christ, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Through your death, burial, and resurrection, you conquered sin, death, Satan, and the grave. And you are worthy of my allegiance. In the power of the Holy Spirit that now indwells me by faith, I pledge my allegiance to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did that every day, Would it change how you think through the day? Would it remind you who you are, whose you are? Grace Church, those of you watching by video, is he worthy of our allegiance? 
Is he worthy of our allegiance? He is. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.